You can open your Bibles with me to Psalm 23. And I mentioned this in the weekly update that I send out each week, that I preached this message, my first trial sermon in October of 2016. And as we've been going through the Psalms, it was very difficult to come to this passage and to skip it because I preached it nearly two years ago. So this is what I know, is that most people don't remember what the preacher said last week, so I'm quite confident you're not going to remember what was said nearly two years ago. If you are a good note-taker and have kept all the sermon inserts over the years, then or over the months, you might still have this tucked in your Bible. But if you don't, uh, you'll, if you do, you'll notice that it's very similar. And if you don't, then I, I trust you'll find value in following along in what the Scripture teaches us about himself. As we see in the superscription, this is a psalm that is attributed to David. We don't know what period of life David was in. We know that David faced all kinds of hardship and challenge in his life. Likely this relates either to the rebellion of his son Absalom or perhaps the time when he fled for his life from King Saul. There were many other challenges that David faced in his life. Some commentators, some experts believe that this Psalm was written after David had gone through the challenge, and I prefer to believe that David actually wrote this in the midst of it. I think there's a couple of indications why that may be true. You'll see in verse 4 and in verse 6, he speaks in the present tense. He says in verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And then he says in verse 6, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That word dwell can also be interpreted or translated to return. So it appears that David is not on his throne in Jerusalem, that he's perhaps in exile of some sorts, but he is not in his rightful place, in the place that God has established him to be. And so David has found himself in great crisis, whether this was written before, or excuse me, during or after this challenge, it makes no difference on the accuracy of what he writes and the value of it for our lives today. So follow along in your Bible with me as I read Psalm 23, verses 1 through 6. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All of us at one point in our life have gone through incredible difficulty. We have faced hardship and sorrow to such an extent that it has absolutely consumed every part of our life. All of us are going to go through difficulty and hardship in our life. Some will go through more than others. None of us are exempt from these challenges. We may not be on the run for our lives like David likely was, but we may feel like our lives are hanging in the balance. Have you ever felt that way? 
Have you ever wondered what you're going to do tomorrow because of how difficult today is? Wondering, can I take the next step? What will the next step be? How long will this last? Things like the pink slip from your boss telling you that your job has gone away. They're real sorry and they thank you for your contribution, but they trust things will go well for you. And maybe it's great financial distress and investment that has gone south and you're wondering now how you're going to be able to meet your obligations. Maybe it's a health diagnosis, the one that you've dreaded all your life. Seems terminal, incurable. Nothing can be done about it. Maybe it's a loss of a spouse, a child or a grandchild. A crippling amount of weight that burdens our hearts and our souls and our lives that we find nearly impossible to shed. I know for many, during these times, they feel alone. Surrounded by people, they feel alone. Believing in their minds that there is a God in their heart, they feel alone. The inability to function with any resemblance of normalcy. Our hearts and minds fixated on the crisis in such a way that it saps every ounce of our energy, every minute of our mind's attention. Well, the reality is, none of us are spared from such difficulty. None of us is spared from this kind of hardship or this kind of sorrow. The question always comes back to what will we do when we face these times of difficulty in our lives A lot of people ask the question, why? Why me? Why now? What did I do? God seems capricious and unfair. God seems to be arbitrary in how He allows circumstances to come in the lives of some and seemingly not into others. And we feel as if we have an entitlement to a trouble-free life. I think it's an old country song, I never promised you a rose garden. Remember that song? And some of us carry that kind of attitude and that kind of mindset into our Christian lives. If we just give our lives to Christ, everything will just magically be okay. The troubles, the challenges, the difficulties will be passed off of me onto someone else, and it's just not reality. Our lives today are lived under the curse of the fall. At the moment that Adam and Eve chose to disregard God's only command... And after they were expelled and sent into the world, life has never been the same, would never be the same in this world. Familiar passages of Scripture for us. Genesis 3.16, To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. The provision of a harmonious marriage of great joy in child-rearing that was there in Genesis 1 and 2 as suddenly all changed at the moment that they chose to sin. Marriage will now be marked by great relational strain, each seeking to dominate and control the other person. Child-bearing and child-rearing will be difficult and painful Some will experience barrenness. Some will experience great rebelliousness within their children, as was lived out in the lives of Cain and Abel. 
It didn't just stop with the woman and the curse that she would experience, but he goes on to say, God does, in Genesis 3, 17 and 19, then to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you, and toil you will eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And so the good land that God has created, that He has allowed man to freely enjoy, has suddenly been replaced. It is now one filled with thorns and thistles of great difficulty and distress to simply feed yourself. He's no longer to eat freely from all the trees that are in the garden. He and Eve have been expelled. The land will not cooperate with them in their efforts to cultivate food. His life is marked by strife and difficulty, constant and continuous struggle to provide physical deterioration that is ending in death. Talking with Perry this morning. How are you doing today, Perry? Not so good. I really don't know what's wrong with you. I said, Perry, I know what's wrong with you. You live under the curse and you're 80 years old. He said, that's it. It's exactly right. Physical deterioration is the curse of the fall. The struggles that we face in our marriages is a result of the fall. The difficulty we have in raising our children to obey is because of the fall. The stress and the pressure to provide for our families is because of the curse of the fall. You can't pass the buck up to your parents. You can't pass it on to the culture. You can't pass it on to the environment. You have to recognize that you and I today, as all of mankind has, lives under the curse of the fall, and that will continue until the Lord returns and takes us home. In the midst of the great difficulty, in the midst of incredible challenge, in the midst of overwhelming sorrow in our lives, we can still rejoice because God is here. God is here forever. God has not gone away. He is not absent. He isn't too busy. He hasn't lost track of our lives and what we need. He simply rules on His throne. We live under the curse of the fall. And God is orchestrating things that we can't see, that we probably won't understand. But by faith, we choose to live for Him, to submit to Him, trusting that He is going to work all this out for our good in the end. See, those challenges and difficulties is the true test of our intellectual belief in the sovereignty of God. We like to say God is in control. We like to say God is on His throne. But when our life seems to be falling apart, we say, God, where are you? What happened? God says, I'm right here on my throne where I've always been. Nothing has changed. Well, David makes an emphatic declaration in this psalm. David declares for us, God is our shepherd. Verse 1, he says, The Lord, all caps, Yahweh, not a God, Yahweh is my shepherd. 
Now, David knows something about shepherding. He is, in fact, called the shepherd king. As a teenager, he lived in the fields, tending the flocks for his father. But a part of this era, kings and leaders were also thought to be shepherds of the people. And so many of the leaders of this era were guilty of abuse and neglect and mistreatment. And though we might feel that way about God from time to time when life is really hard, we have to remember that God is not only the shepherd, He is the great shepherd, the good shepherd. He is the loving Father who sits on the throne ruling our lives all the time. So Psalm 23 is the development of the shepherd motif. The shepherd motif is introduced in Genesis. It's mentioned in Deuteronomy. It's also mentioned in the book of Jeremiah. But it is here for the first time that this idea of God being a shepherd is developed with any kind of specificity for us to learn from. It's an incredibly important expression because of how accurately connects man's need to God. In the animal kingdom, sheep are one of the truly few the few truly defenseless creatures. Some animals have great speed and agility to avoid predators. A sheep doesn't have that. Some animals make ferocious sounds. There's a bark, there's a growl, there's a hiss, there's a rumble, there's a grumble, there's something. Sheep have nothing like this. A turtle can withdraw into its shell. An armadillo can roll up into a ball. A porcupine can release its quills. A skunk can release one of the most disgusting musks you could ever possibly smell, but a sheep can do nothing like that. Average speed, little endurance, weighted down with its bulky wool. It bleats simply to say, here I am, come and eat me. I can't do anything about it. Sheep cannot find food for themselves. They cannot find water on their own. They have to be led there by a shepherd. They tend to wander aimlessly And they are completely dependent on their shepherd. I read this story, and this is a true story. Here's what it says. Hundreds of sheep followed their leader, the lead sheep, off an eastern Turkey cliff, plunging to their deaths this week while shepherds looked on in dismay. 400 sheep fell 50 feet to their deaths into a ravine, but broke the fall of another 1,100 sheep who survived. Shepherds from a nearby village neglected the flock while eating breakfast, leaving the sheep to roam free. And so here you have the lead sheep walking off a cliff, and 1,499 other sheep followed that one off the cliff where many fell to their death. Can you picture it? 1,500 sheep one after the other just plummeting 50 feet into the bottom of a ravine. Soon, the sheep were piled up so deep that the sheep on the bottom were crushed by the weight of every other sheep on top of them, and the ones on top were laying on a soft, downy pillow, wondering what had happened. God is our shepherd, and we are sheep in great need of a great shepherd. Psalm 23 is the foundation of the image of God as a shepherd. Now, this shepherd motif is developed as a bridge, if you will, into the New Testament. Ezekiel chapter 34. Thus says the Lord, the Lord God, Behold, I myself 
will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they are scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the streams and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will feed them in a good pasture and their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. They will lie down on good grazing ground and feed in rich pasture in the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken, and strengthen the sick. What has been established in Psalms is now developed more specifically even than that in Ezekiel. And it goes on to say in Ezekiel, Uh, 34, I missed it. Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them, and he will feed them himself and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. So David is going to be the shepherd of the nation of Israel. God has established the sheep motif that Ezekiel creates a bridge to, and we find this in John chapter 10, when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. You know, throughout the Gospel of John, you see the fulfillment of Psalm 23 expressed in many of the I am statements that Jesus made about himself. When David declares that the Lord is my shepherd, it is a declaration of a covenant relationship. A covenant relationship means that I have entered into an agreement with you and you have entered into an agreement with me and the kind of covenant that God made with David could not be broken for any reason and in any way. And so in the midst of great difficulty, in the midst of great hardship for David, he makes this declaration that the Lord is my shepherd and it is a declaration of this covenant Relationship. If you remember in our study earlier in the book of Psalms, when David was anointed the king of Israel, at his coronation, God called him the anointed one. And it identified that David was going to enjoy a privileged relationship that nobody else was going to enjoy in David's time. Now, you and I today, as the born-again children of God, enjoy the same kind of privileged relationship that David did. It is a relationship initiated by God before the foundation of the world. It is consummated at our salvation through our faith in Christ. And it is a relationship that is going to last for all of eternity. So, David now provides this, this reality that the shepherd is his source of contentment. The Lord is my shepherd. What does he say? I shall not want. When you hear David say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He is simply saying, I am yours, you are mine, and that is all I need. Think about that. Imagine, if you will, that this was in the time that David was fleeing from Saul. He'd been promised the throne, but Saul went nuts and sought to kill him. And for 14 years, 
David was on the run for his life. And if this was written in the midst of this, in the midst of this journey, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If it is the rebellion of Absalom, his own son, who has now bred such discontent and hatred for his father that he's again on the run, his own son out to kill him, David would still say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Well, the remainder of our psalm, we're going to look at seven expressions of this covenant relationship that David enjoys with God. And it's the same relationship, the same blessing and provision that you and I can enjoy today. Number one, he feeds me. Verse two says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He, the great shepherd, makes me to lie down in green pastures. Green pastures are the scriptures of truth. David's not a literal sheep who needs a plush pasture land to go nourish himself on. But he's talking about in his relationship with God, the feeding, the nourishment, the blessedness that comes from communing with God. So these green pastures are the scripture of truth. The Word of God is fresh, it is rich, it is never exhausted. It is food for our souls. It is the promises of God. It is the provisions that God has made for His children. As you think about this statement, that He makes me lie down in green pastures, I think we fast forward into John chapter 6, when Jesus says that I am the bread of life. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. When your life is in great turmoil, do we turn to the Word of God? Do we develop our relationship with Him? Or do we simply wring our hands and wonder and worry? Do we listen to pop psychology or even pop Christianity, if you will? Do we seek the removal of the circumstance? Or do we search the Scriptures to find the covenant God who is our shepherd? Number two, He refreshes me. Verse two continues, He leads me beside quiet waters. You know, sheep will not drink from running water. They're skittish. They're very timid. It's the craziest thing. We've got this big dog who will only drink from a bowl of water where there's no sound, there's no move. we got one of those big five-gallon jugs because we got tired of filling the water bowl. And about every three or four gulps, that thing would bubble and that dog would back up and run away. And for two days, it wouldn't get a drink of water. So we had to get rid of the self-perpetuating water bowl. But that's how a sheep is. A sheep will not drink from running water. If the stream is moving too fast, if there's too much noise, they will not drink. So for the shepherd to lead us beside quiet waters, this is the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our life. It is when we quiet our hearts and we pray and we listen and we wait for the Holy Spirit to do the work that He desires to do in our lives. He comforts us. He strengthens us. He encourages us. He reminds us of the promises that God has made. He provides peace that passes understanding 
with this ability to relax and say, I don't know what's going to happen, but I trust in God and it's all going to be okay. It's not a flippant view of life. It's a deep abiding faith in God as our shepherd. As a fulfillment of the good shepherd, Jesus declared in John chapter 4, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. This is the encounter with the woman at the well. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. This not only speaks of the salvation that comes in drinking of the living water, but it is the ongoing nurturing that takes place in our lives through the work of the Holy Spirit as we give ourselves to the Lord in developing our relationship with Him. Number three, He revives me. First part of verse three says, He restores my soul. Now we looked at it last week, restore is the idea of bringing something back to newness. You have that old dilapidated car that you restore and you make it like new. Our lives were once created in the image of God, deeply tarnished and stained by sin, never to be reclaimed to the glory of God apart from the work of Christ. This has a little bit of a different meaning here. This restoration speaks of when we, like a sheep, have wandered away on our own to do our own thing. When we have failed to follow, when we have failed to obey, when we have decided that we can do this on our own apart from God and we find ourselves in a problem, we come to our senses and we come back to the Lord. When we do that, there is this restoration that comes to our life that we experience in the sense of cleansing and forgiveness and acceptance by the Lord as the fulfillment of the Good Shepherd Jesus restores us when we fail. The great experience that we see here is in the life of Peter. We find in John chapter 21. If you remember, Jesus denied that he knew. Excuse me, Peter denied that he knew Jesus three times. And so, after Jesus' resurrection and his temporary ascension, he came back and had appeared several times. And so here they are meeting on the Sea of Galilee. They've been out fishing. Peter's cooking the fish. And Jesus asks him three different times, one to match each of the denials, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? You remember that, right? The response from Jesus after Peter confirms that he does is, tend my lambs, shepherd my sheep, tend my sheep. You think that's a coincidence? Do you think Jesus was trying to read some, or speak between the lines, some hidden meaning to Peter and Peter alone? You see, Peter was going to have a very unique ministry where he was going to shepherd the children of God. He was going to be a pastor, evangelist, disciple. He was going to be prominent in Jerusalem. And he needed to be restored back to right relationship, to be cleansed from his sin, to experience acceptance from God so he could carry on the work that God had for him to do. Just as God forgives us, he has forgiven Peter. He has restored his soul and given him the ability to go out and shepherd the flock. As I, the good shepherd, have cared for you, so you care for the flock that you will be given. Number four, he guides me. Latter part of verse 3, he guides me in paths of righteousness. 
He guides me in the paths of righteousness. You know, we're never left alone to figure out how to please God, how to obey God, or how to follow God. It might seem that way when we're not in this intimate relationship with God. It might be more difficult because we have to apply principles to our situation. But God is always there to lead us. He's always there to guide us. He is always there to direct us. He will do this through our obedience to His Word as we listen to Him. See, I think the real question is, do we want God to lead us? See, we want God to rescue us. We want God to bail us out. We want God to swoop in and remove the trouble. But do we really want for Him to guide us? And are we willing to follow Him by obeying what we already know He has commanded us to do? You know, when sheep wander away from the flock and get into great danger, it's because they failed to listen to the voice of the shepherd. They've gone out and just done their own thing, wandered away, and now they find themselves someplace that they don't want to be. And that's our lives when we wander away from obeying the truth of what God has told us to do. As the fulfillment of the Good Shepherd, Jesus tells us in John chapter 10, To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him. Why? Because they know his voice. They know his voice because they trust him and they follow him. They're going to obey the shepherd. This is the idea of the role between the good shepherd and the sheep. This is the role between God and his people. We are to allow him to guide us. Here's something that stands out to me in this is in verse 3c is it says he guides us for his name's sake. He guides us for his glory. He doesn't guide us so that we can make a name for ourselves. He doesn't guide us into this happy life. He guides us so that our lives will bring him glory. God is a covenant maker and He is a covenant keeper. He fulfills His promises. He is always consistent and He does this for His glory. Our lives are to be lived in such a way that in some way we can give to Him glory through the lives that we live. People will say, you've been such a blessing to me. I appreciate the way you have met my need. I appreciate you stepping in in my moment of need. And when they do that, what they are saying is, your life is bringing glory to God through the way you are living it. But He guides for His glory, and God is serious about getting the glory that He is deserving of. He says in Isaiah, I am the Lord... That is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. Now, when we read this, we might think that God's got an ego problem or that God needs to have his, um, his praise button you know, hit a bunch of times. That's not it at all. The point is this. God and God alone deserves glory. God and God alone is worthy of glory. You and I, as fallen men and women tend to give our glory to other things, to other people. And this is why God says, I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. What is on the throne of our lives? 
What is it that occupies our true heart's attention? Is it him or is it something else? Well, God feeds, he refreshes, he revives, and he guides so that we will give him glory. And God is serious about about us following the good shepherd. Number five, he is with me. Verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This is an unmistakable picture image of a literal shepherd in the field. And David may actually be talking literally at this point. But he says that I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. If David is literally fleeing for his life, And if he is traveling along the roadway and he finds himself in a literal valley, he knows that he's in the most vulnerable place he can be. If you've been in the military, if you know anything about the military, they always tell you to take the high point. Get to the high ground so you can see. If you're in a valley, you're a sitting duck. You are a target for others to pick off. But David says that even though I am in the valley of the shadow of death, letter A, I need not fear. In the face of death, David said, I will not fear. You see, what we need to be reminded of is that death is just a shadow. As David is walking in the shadow of death, death itself is a shadow because it's not the end. It's simply a doorway into something else. Charles Spurgeon said, we go through the dark tunnel of death and emerge into the light of immortality. We do not die. We do but sleep to wake in glory. Death is not the house but the porch. And that's why David could say that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. Letter B, his presence protects me. David identifies the rod. The rod was the thing that a sheep would carry with him to beat off would-be attackers of the flock. We know the stories in the Bible that David had fought off lions. Uh, There are stories of shepherds repelling bears and coyotes and wolves and other things. You needed a rod to protect the flock if you were a shepherd. So what is our protection as the children of God today? We studied this not too long ago. It is the armor of God. It is the provision that God has made for our lives in our relationship with Him. We are to put on the full armor of God. And when we've done all that we can to stand, we stand in that armor, trusting in God's protection. Let her see. His presence restrains me. The staff, the staff for a shepherd would be to pull a sheep back in line that was wandering away. It could be to rescue a sheep that had fallen into a crook to pull them back out. But the idea here is that God's presence restrains me. It restrains me from wandering away and getting off the path and leaving His guidance and His direction in my life. Today, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to bring conviction in our life. And He says to us, you know that is wrong. You know you shouldn't do that. You know this is what you're supposed to do. You see, when the Holy Spirit convicts us, He reminds us of the truth of God's Word. He reminds us of the do's and the don'ts, of the rights and the wrongs. Now, the enemy will attack us. 
The enemy will accuse us. He will condemn us. He will bring distrust. He will bring deception. The Holy Spirit simply brings conviction. Conviction. You know that you shouldn't do that. Letter D. His presence comforts me. This is God Himself indwelling us through the person of the Holy Spirit with us forever, wherever we go, whatever the hardship, whatever the sorrow, God is with us. I had a good friend say this to me not too long ago when I was in a very, very difficult part of my life, a place I didn't want to be, a place I would not have chosen for myself. He said this, God has plans, we have God. Think about that. He has plans. We have Him. You know, God is going to lead us in a path that we would not choose for ourselves. God will potentially lead us in a path that we don't want to go down. And when we find ourselves being led by God to a place that we didn't think we would be, a place we don't want to be, we have to remember that through it all, we have Him. He will see us through. He will be there to comfort us. He'll be there to protect us. He'll be there to provide for us. As a fulfillment of the Good Shepherd, Jesus is always with us and protects us, even in the face of death. He says this in John chapter 10, verses 27 and 28, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. You see, that reality ought to bring such a deep, abiding peace in our lives that no matter where we go, no matter what I face, God is with me. Number seven, excuse me, number six, He hosts me. Verse five, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Remember, David says that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff that comfort me. And in the midst of the shadow of death, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And so in this valley, in this shadow of death all around David's life, he says this, he says, you have set before me a great banquet. It is a spiritual feast where you are the host and I am the invited guest. Against the backdrop of this shadow of death, the presence of his enemies, God is overwhelmingly blessing David with his presence. And it's the same reality for you and I today. God is always going to bless us with his presence, even in the face of death. He sets a banquet table out before us so that we can dine with him, not on literal food, but on spiritual food, on that which we need more than anything else. Letter A, he provides peace. But you think about this in military terms, and military arrangements, that there's a battle raging all around the camp, and they're sitting there carelessly enjoying a great meal together. Not worried, not concerned, not at all bothered by the bombs they hear going off and the gunshots in the distance. But they've just simply enjoyed the feast that's been laid out before them. It provides peace. Letter B, he provides refreshing. 
just like the green pastures, just like the quiet waters. Letter C, he provides abundantly. You notice what David says there. He says, my cup overflows. I have been so overwhelmed by your blessing that the cup, the literal cup, couldn't hold anymore. The figurative cup, my life, can't hold all of the blessings that you have given to me. Your peace, your refreshing. God provides abundantly. Jesus would say as a fulfillment of the Good Shepherd in John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And we get caught up in that. We think about abundance in physical terms. We think about abundance of money. We think about abundance of fame or power or something else. But that's never the issue. The issue is always an abundance of God Himself. It is a spiritual abundance. It is more than we can contain. And that is the promise that we have to claim as the children of God is that God will bless us abundantly. More than we can think, certainly more than we deserve. Our cup overflows. Lastly, number seven. He is eternally present. It says in verse six, Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So goodness and loving kindness describe not only the actions of God, what He does on our behalf, but it describes God Himself. He will be with us now, and He will be with us forever. Just as the Good Shepherd has extended the invitation to us today, He says in Matthew chapter 11, Come to Me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Psalm 23 is one of the most famous passages in all the Bible. It's often read or quoted or referenced in in funerals. But it's not a psalm for the dead. It's a psalm for the living to celebrate the sufficiency of God in our lives. The declaration of a covenant relationship with God that can't be taken away from us. The blessing that comes from being in that relationship as the shepherd provides for us. Through great hardship, through overwhelming sorrow, He is always there. He is always leading. He is always refreshing. The question is, are we stopping to commune with Him so that we can experience what God has given to us? Would you bow with me in prayer? Oh, Father, it's easy to acknowledge theoretically that you are the good shepherd, that you are sovereign, that you do rule and reign from on high. But boy, we know when life gets hard and sorrow is near, it makes it hard to remember who you are. God, I pray that you would even now remind us of how difficulty and hardship and grief and sorrow are interfering with our ability to experience you as our shepherd. The perfect provisions you made for our lives through yourself.
God, I pray that you continue to teach us how to die to ourselves, how to live to you and for you, and how to find all that we need in our relationship with you. You are my shepherd. I shall not want. May that be true for every heart and every life today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we sing?